Some of you, I don't feel bad for Chris. Some of you, it's going to take a while to find Habakkuk, so you might want to start turning now, unless you put your Bible marker in it last week. Habakkuk chapter 1. Habakkuk chapter 1. Have you ever gotten stuck behind a slow car when you're in a hurry? Now, if you are a slow driver anyways, you might want to plug your ears right now. I have had this experience so often, and I'm not a slow driver. I go the speed limit most of the time. But I, I like to get there. A decent clip with the speed limit. I've had this happen to me so often that I get behind someone that drives really slow that I can't even distinguish between the two of them. So I'm just going to give you a few likely scenarios that I've been through many times. I'm late for an appointment. Or I'm late for school or I've got to go to the bathroom. Someone pulls out in front of me. And I have to hit the brakes because they pulled out for me way too late. And usually they don't even seem to notice. And then they proceed to go really slow to add insult to injury. And so I'm thinking, my turn's coming up. I'm thinking, finally, I can get away from these really slow drivers. And then they turn where I am going to turn. And they proceed to go even slower. And then usually there's at least one more turn where they turn where I'm going to turn. And it's moments like this where I'll often utter in absolute disgust the word unbelievable. There have been many other times when I'm sitting across the table from a friend at a restaurant and they're telling me some story that they had just gone through that has utterly incensed them. And I often hear them use the phrase also in utter disgust. It was unbelievable. In our Bible text today, God tells Habakkuk that what he is getting ready to do will be unbelievable to Habakkuk. This unbelievable can include all the disgust of what I just talked about with some examples. But it also includes so much more. Shock, surprise, speechlessness, amazement. And by the way, unbelievable things aren't always bad. In Habakkuk's case, it was bad. Let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1. In verse 5. And it says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told. Here in Habakkuk, verse 5. We have a transition. Verses 1 through 4, Habakkuk was talking to God. Here in verse 5, God is talking to Habakkuk. Now, as you look at your scriptures, unless 
if you don't have the headings, most translations do, they have uh, headings. You can see that it was Habakkuk's complaint, but then it's transitioned to the Lord speaking. It's, on the surface, it's not clear in our English language that Habakkuk has stopped talking and the Lord has started talking. And the way we can look at this grammatically is that the Hebrew changes, the verb changes when it says look and see that is a command in second person. So now it's clear that God is talking to Habakkuk, but he's also talking to everybody else who might be listening in or the nation of Israel, whereas Habakkuk was very clearly talking to God alone. Now the speaker who is God is talking to Habakkuk in a whole group of people. You have in the English language, you singular and you plural. So the South has a good way of handling that. They say y'all. And sometimes we'll say you guys up here in the North. But the idea is, is that we sometimes we have to clarify that we're talking to a group of people, plural. The New Living Translation does an excellent job, the best of all the translations. Most of the translations don't bring that out, except in the headings. King James does a decent job with it. Here, the ESV doesn't really make a distinguishing factor except for the heading. So, God is talking now. Habakkuk is listening. Habakkuk had taken his deep complaints to God and it seems that the complaint was at God. How is God going to answer? And that's where we pick up today. Let's pray as we dig in. God, this morning I ask us, ask you to help us to to think Big thoughts about you. Which you've given Habakkuk for us and had scripturated for us. These are big things, hard things. I pray that you would widen the horizons of our thinking. That we could look up and see the bigger things that you are doing. Even when we're in the midst of struggle. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, look at what God is doing. Look at what God is doing. Last week, we looked at the how long question and the why question. Usually implicit in those questions are the feelings that God is distant or he's uncaring or he's letting things spin out of control. And although we might know mentally and factually that's not true, our feelings are saying something different. And now God responds to Habakkuk by saying, look at what I'm doing. See what I'm doing. Look and see are similar words here in English. And if you want to study it, on your own time, the nuances there of the Hebrew words, you can grab your Strong's Concordance and the word look is the Strong's number 7200. 7200. You can look at all the different ways that's translated in your Old Testament. And also the word see means take a good look. It's one of the ways it's translated. 
That's Strong's number 5027. 5027. Look and see. Take a good look. The Hebrew word see or take a good look has a reference in the Old Testament that is too good to pass up. When God is talking to Abraham and he is giving him his covenant promises, he says in Genesis 15, 5, here's what he says. And the Lord brought him, that's Abraham, outside and said, look or take a good look. See toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Same word there, see or look or look closely at what I am doing. The same way God is calling Habakkuk in all the listeners of Habakkuk's prophecy and all the readers of his prophecy here. To look, take a good look at what God is doing. God is telling Habakkuk, he's saying, I am active. I am at work. Look at it. Take a good look at it. Think about it. Consider it. We use the expression, the tip of the iceberg. I read somewhere that Nine-tenths of an iceberg is usually below the surface. So as you see the iceberg on the surface, it's only one-tenth of its actual size. There are some icebergs that are pretty big on the surface. You can imagine how big they are under the surface. And we need to apply this to God. There are things that are really big to us that we can see God doing or we can a really big situation that is hard for us. Think of how much we cannot see of that situation. And think how much of what we cannot see that God is doing. Think long and hard about it. So we see that God is, in fact, doing something when we might feel like he's doing nothing or he is distant. As God is answering Habakkuk, he not only says, look, I am doing something, but he also challenges Habakkuk at how to look. God is calling Habakkuk to look at the big picture. He says in verse five, look among the nations. Habakkuk is complaining in a more localized sense. He says, look among the nations. The concept of the nations is a huge concept in the Old Testament. We could spend a few months on this. Don't worry, we're not. But let me tell you, if we were to spend a few months studying this concept of the nations in the Old Testament, it would not be dry and boring. It would be very practical. So a lot of times when we think of the Old Testament, we think of Israel. And that's not incorrect. Israel is at the center of the Old Testament. But God deals with the rest of the world, too, in the Old Testament. That is the nations. Many of the Old Testament prophecies reference the nations. And as this word comes into Greek and in the New Testament, it is used as the word Gentile. Or pagan, Gentile or pagan. So when you read that word Gentile or pagan in the 
New Testament often is referring to the Old Testament Hebrew word of the nations. God is telling Habakkuk, look, see I'm at work, but not only with Israel, but with the whole world. Some of you may think on a global scale, but most of us do not. It's practically challenging you to spend a period of time, 15, 20, 30 minutes, thinking and praying through what God is doing on the international scale in the world, among the nations. One of my good friends, Matt, I met, met each other in college first week or two, and then we were in each other's weddings. We've been playing each other in chess for a long time. And I have been beating him at chess for a long time. Until a year ago. I don't know what happened. He has been beating me almost nonstop for a year. I don't know what's happened, folks. Even in the last year as he's been beating me, I have been pondering a good move probably for a day or two. And I finally make my move and he picks out my weak point and he beats me over and over again. When God moves on the world scene, he is not stressing about his next move. He doesn't have to spend days and weeks thinking about it. God moves precisely, perfectly, with perfect timing and effortlessly. This means God's precise and perfect move with perfect timing can be utterly confusing and offensive to us even though it is done perfectly. As I think of this pandemic, God has accomplished so many things through it. And some of the things that have happened have been hard for people. Some people have suffered. Some parts of this pandemic, if not all of this pandemic, has been offensive for some people. For other people, there's been many aspects of this pandemic that have brought good results This pandemic has brought confusion to nations. It's brought confusion to politics. This pandemic has weakened the powerful in some places. And in other places, new people have risen to power. As we think of this election season, look at what God is doing on our national scene and on the international scene. God is not idle. He is not distant. Evil is not spinning out of control. We may not be able to make sense of it. We may not be able to coalesce it. We may not be able to handle it. We may not be able to sort through what to do about it. Not so for God. Look at what God is doing. Our first natural response for most of us, is we spend lots of time thinking about our feelings and how situations affect us. 
It's just reality. And we do need to consider ourselves and take indents of what's going on in our hearts and consider our feelings and consider our thoughts. Because some people, because of trauma in their lives, they have disconnected from themselves and they've ceased considering how things affect themselves because it's too painful. So it's important that we do think about what's going on in our heart. Think of our feelings and our thoughts. Take index of them. But also we need to raise our eyes off of ourselves and look at the big picture of what God is doing. And consider it. Consider what we can perceive of what he is doing. Consider that there are many things we cannot perceive of what he is doing. Some things are going to be painful for us. Some things might be joyful for us. How is God using Russia, Iran, Israel, China, North Korea, South Korea, Mexico, Canada? Think on a big scale. Look at what God is doing, number one. And as we look at what God is doing, we will also see that it is unbelievable. Number two this morning, consider God's Unbelievable actions. God's unbelievable actions. God tells Habakkuk in verse 5, the second half, you would not believe if told. I'm doing things that you wouldn't believe if someone told you it. This brings to mind one of the most beloved portions of the New Testament. When the news is spreading of Jesus' resurrection. And in Luke 24, verses 10 and 11, it says, Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman, women with them, <clears throat> who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. The news of Jesus' resurrection was unbelievable. They were told, and they did not believe it. That was good news that was unbelievable. But unbelievable, as we've already mentioned. Unbelievable news also applies to bad news. And here it's bad news that Habakkuk is getting in this passage. The news of God raising up a terrible and awful nation for his purposes. When Hitler began his march on the surrounding countries. It was an unbelievable tale that many people did not believe at first. It was so shocking, it didn't seem like it could be true. And when the news at the end of the war of the Nazi death camps began to come out, it was so bad, some people couldn't believe it was actually true. Back to our election season. If the election season does not go the way you want it to go. God can be doing some unbelievable things. And he is. The unbelievable things. God could be doing. Could be unthinkable to you. Unbelievable to you. Consider God's unbelievable actions. This could be an unbelievably good way. This could be an unbelievably bad way. In the bad way, we think of how 
we have to get give bad news. When we have to give bad news to somebody, the pressure we are under when we have to give them the bad news. God is not under pressure of the complaints of humanity. If you have been in a position of leadership where you have had to hear the complaints of people, you know the pressure you are under as you hear the complaints and then try to resolve them. It's one of the harder parts of leadership. I have tended to be the more strict one in our home between Katrina and I. But, folks, I'm mellowing a little bit. In recent years, there have been some role reversal where one of the kids comes up with their complaint. And historically, Katrina is the one that's softer and I'm the one that's harder. But there have been times in the last few years where I have been a little bit softer and she's been a little bit harder. This whole sorting out of dealing with complaints and issues and problems Amongst people, amongst children, wherever your arena is, it's a hard one. But let me just say, folks, that this is not so for God. God is able to act in perfect stability, even for the things that are greatly offensive to us. God doesn't have to think through how he's going to give the bad news to us. God is not tiptoeing around us as he deals with us. He is not sheepish. God is not sheepish as he communicates with us. God acts in confident, loving, holy, glorious goodness as he performs his will. It feels a little hollow for me to say these things this morning. I don't face any significant challenges like what Habakkuk was facing. I can think of some earth shattering events of my past that just totally reoriented my world and my world crashed. But even those aren't as bad as what most of the world throughout history has had to face. Wherever you are on this spectrum, the one of being grievously affected right now, or perhaps on the other end of largely unaffected, here is what I want to leave with you and want you to be thinking about today. I want you to consider God's unbelievable actions. Think about what God is doing and then consider that unbelievable component. Consider that what God is doing is so profound that it is hard to comprehend and you really can't even see all of it. Ask God to help you, though. Come to God tenderly and submit to him. Ask God to help you to be honest with yourself about any offense in you, any bitterness in you because of it. Number one, look at what God is doing. Number two, consider God's unbelievable actions. 
We have come in some way face to face with evil nations in this life, whether it's through the news headlines or perhaps you've had some personal experience. So let's keep in mind that God rules over those evil nations. Number three, no, God rules over the terrifying nations. We're going to do just a brief overview of how offensive this must have been for Habakkuk. Let's look at Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 6 through 11. God says, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. It doesn't mean anything to us today. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. The horsemen press proudly on. The horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. They sweep by like wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. This is hard for us to understand. In America, we have been very insulated from nations like this. However, if you were one of the surrounding countries around Germany during Hitler's events in World War II, and as the nations one by one, the countries around Germany began to fall, you would have felt what Habakkuk was hearing from God. A fierce nation was coming and Habakkuk knew who these Chaldeans were and and he knew some of their their um, what people thought of them and what they were doing. And to hear God say that he was raising up this nation to do these things was shocking. It was like hearing, hey, look, I'm raising up Germany and I am going to have them conquer and no one's going to be able to stop them. They're going to devour. They're going to be proud. They're going to topple nations and overcome. This is what God was telling Habakkuk was going to happen. Look at what I'm doing. It was utterly unbelievable. Bible Knowledge Commentary gives us five S's. I'm just going to share them with you briefly as it's summarizing these Chaldean people. First of all, their status. Verse 7. Babylon apparently was without rival. This terrible and dreadful people were a law to themselves. Number two, their speed. Verse 8. The Lord further described the foe as a people with horses, swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. We don't think that way when it comes to speed today. We think about megabits per second. We think about the speed of our car miles per hour. But they were unparalleled with their ability to advance shockingly fast. Number three, their success. Verse nine, there was no hope of stopping the Babylonians collectively. They all came bent on violence. The nation's entire military force would be engaged in the invasion and would be irresistibly victorious. You can look at other Old Testament references of how this went down. Number four, they're scoffing. 
And that's verse 10. Confident in their strength, the Babylonians scoffed at kings and ridiculed rulers. It was their custom to exhibit captive rulers as public spectacles. Their brutality is seen in the way they treated Zedekiah after Jerusalem's fell, after it fall, fell. <laughs> they killed Zedekiah's sons before his eyes. And then with that awesome sight burned into his memory, they put out his eyes and bound him in shackles and took him prisoner to Babylon. Second Kings 25 verse 7. Finally, fifth, their sacrilege. Verse 11. Their major offense was clearly recorded. They considered their own strength as their God. They treated their might as their master. For them, might was right. Became might was divine. It is little wonder that God declared them guilty for such sacrilege. Hopefully we can at least feel how big and powerful nations can do terrible things, even though we're insulated here in America. Now let's review again how God handles these big and terrible nations. Verse 6, God says, I, or the Lord, am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. God is making a sovereign claim over this nation. This terrible nation that was devastatingly, shockingly, awfully bad. He says, I, the Lord, I am the one that raised them up. He is controlling them. He is the one that raised them up. The nations of the earth act in all their pride and exert all their energy. Babylon here, Alexander the Great later, the Roman Empire, the Muslim hordes, Hitler of Nazi Germany. God raises them up. They could do nothing if God did not allow them to. As the psalmist says in Psalm 76, verse 10, the wrath of men shall praise the Lord. Does that offend you? It did Habakkuk. God's prophet was offended at that. And it will likely offend you many times in your life. The ways of God in this area are offensive to us and hard to understand. This is just where we're at. Don't gloss over it, don't try to make it pretty. This is the type of book that Habakkuk is. This is the nature of his prophecy that God gave him for us to read and consider. God wants us to wrestle with this. I pray for myself that I can be honest about this with myself and with God. And I pray the same for you. That as you wrestle with the things of God that are offensive... That you could be honest with yourself and honest with God. Spend a few minutes and respond to the Lord in prayer.